0: But then I was like, you know, write a song about my pit bull my dog. And it wrote like a pretty good song. <laughs> it was like, what is happening? It's just these mind blowing things. Welcome to the Postlight podcast. I am Chris Lasacco, the president of Postlight, and today on the show, I am joined by Aaron Ortballs, our head of engineering at Postlight. Hey Aaron, how's it going? Good. How are you, Chris? I'm great. I am excited to talk to you today because we're going to talk about artificial intelligence.
1: I know, it's going to be exciting. I think there's a ton to talk about, and I sort of intro the topic and you were like, let's do it. And so, yeah, I mean, we could talk about this for hours, but I think we'll hit some of the highlights.
0: There are a lot of hot takes out there on the internet about, (laughs) you know, what's going on right now in AI and how it's going to irrevocably change the world, which, which may or may not be true. But I, we had a conversation about it because you told me this crazy story about how you used one of the open AI tools that's out there. Chat GPT to write a piece of of code. I would love to just have you tell that story and let that be the sort of inroad here to the conversation that we're about to have because it's fascinating.
1: Yeah. So, you know, when we were talking, the story I told was a lot of us have Apple Watches these days, and there's this incredible amount of health data being stored, you know, locally on our phones through HealthKit. So the iOS ecosystem got all this data, you can go look at your heart rate over time or your, you know, heart rate variability, which kind of tells you about training and are you ready to work out or not? And I was talking with my wife and essentially she's an Excel nerd and she wanted to like look at the data and graph it. And so we tried to export it, which luckily, you know, Apple lets you do. And what it does is it dumps out a giant XML file, which for those that don't know what XML is, it's sort of like HTML for data. You know, broadly yep. speaking. But what do you do with a two gigabyte XML file? And it's not as easy as a CSV to import into Excel. I thought there's got to be a tool out there to do this. And so I go on GitHub and I'm looking around and I found a parser that would spit out a SQLite database. So SQLite Perfect. is a local relational database. And you can... Easily explore a database. So it's actually a really nice natural thing for somebody that's good at Excel but isn't a programmer to tinker with. There's a tool called dataset where you can, you know, point it at the SQLite database and use a browser and click around and look at the data and run a query. So it's really cool. And I found a parser that would take the XML data and parse it into a database. And so I was excited. I pull it down. It's written in Rust. So Rust is a programming language that's in the, in the same realm of C++. So it's a low-level systems language that I don't typically write much code in or we have done some work at Postlight with Rust, but it's less common for our day-to-day work, but I've tinkered with it, but haven't really written code in it before. And I ran the importer, I built it and ran it and it failed. And the reason it failed was an issue with a column in the SQLite database. And and I thought, hey, I'm smart. I can fix this, even <laughs> though I don't know Rust that well. <laughs> okay, And I started to look at it, and I knew how I would fix it in other languages. And I, I thought, let me try to do this. And Rust is a pretty complex language as far as types and how it deals with data, and it has this thing called a borrow checker for memory. And it's a very, very interesting and innovative language, but it's not as easy to just jump in. And so I hop on Chat GPT. So for those that don't know what Chat GPT is, OpenAI has a, a large language model, so an LLM, GPT 3.5. So they've evolved this over time. And what it does is it takes a ton of language data, millions and millions of words, essentially all of the internet has been fed into this language model and it can understand what's called a prompt. You can give it a question and it will answer it. And so what blew up uh, recently was open AI released chat GPT, which is just a chat interface to GPT 3.5 with, yeah. yeah, with some, you know, special sauce sprinkled on top of it. And it's pretty amazing to tinker with. It's a little scary in that it can answer you like a human would and it can both be very close to correct, 99% correct or it can be totally wrong and be as confident that it was (laughs) right and it's just wrong. But it's a very cool tool for programmers to tinker with because it can write code for you. So I described my problem, which was essentially filtering an array and I described it in plain language and it wrote almost a perfect implementation of it right on screen in front of me.
0: Hold, hold on. Hold on. I want to back up. Okay. I want to unpack all the different things that chat GPT can do because there are some like obvious things that you might think to sort of test an artificial intelligence and it does some interesting things there, but then you can also do some very, very, you know, like advanced things that you wouldn't think it would get right. And it does. So that's kind of wild. But what you're saying is you, you gave it a prompt in plain English that said like, write this importer in Rust or like, what, how did you, how did you kick this off? Like, what did you, how did you describe it? So I think one of the interesting things
1: about these tools is you do have to be technical to use it to solve a technical problem. So you have to be able to frame it or narrate narrate it in the right way so to get the right use output. the right words essentially the way i would describe it too is google is a powerful tool but if you don't know the right term to google for you're going to struggle and i think there's some similarities to like a chat gpt style interface where if you don't know actually a good example was the other day i was trying to find essentially a home kit button that would allow me to run a home kit scene in my house to turn lights on and I didn't want a button that I could slap on the wall. I wanted a button that would go where a light switch would go. And it turns out those are called scene controllers. And I didn't know to Google for a scene controller, or search Amazon for it. And I think that's a good example of until you know the right What you're terms, looking for, yeah, yeah, yeah. ChatGPT can't help you. And I think that's also similar to some of this what's been dubbed prompt engineering for Chat or Dolly 2, the image tool where you can describe art or whatever, a picture, and it will generate an image. Getting the terms right can really make or break the result. But anyway, to come back from my tangent, I described filtering essentially an array of strings, like text, and doing a couple complicated operations on it, which is what would fix my bug that I was trying to fix. Right, And it implemented, it explained it line by line, you know, you need to implement this type, and then you can use it this way. And this is an example of how to use it. And then I asked it to write a test to test it. And then it <laughs> it has the state of the conversation. And so I said, write a test for the thing you wrote, and it wrote the tests. Wow. And ironically, it did have a small bug in it, of course, which I think Again, this is not going to replace people's jobs, and I think that's a separate...
0: Well, uh, we need to talk about that.
1: You know, there's <laughs> going to be lots of validation, and I, of course, had yeah. to try to understand this to use it. But I tinkered with it, and it didn't work at first, and I made a small change, and I added it to the code base, and my importer worked, and I had my health data in the SQLite database, and so I was able to to solve solve the problem. And... I went to one of our our engineers who's an expert in Rust, and I said, look at this implementation. Like a chatbot wrote it, and I modified it, but is this how you would do it? And he said, yeah, it's near perfect. That's a great, you know, you could do it other ways, but that was pretty good. And so it's it was kind of jaw-dropping to see that. And I've done it, you know, experimented with it in other ways. You can see the benefits of using a tool like this at your disposal. It's also It's also a bit odd and scary and kind of new. And I think OpenAI, the reason ChatGPT has exploded and sort of made the news is that they found an interface to the model that was a good way to experiment. Yeah. And so
0: it's capturing people's minds like mine. Right. So just to finish the thread on this programming example, I mean, this this saved you hours of time. I mean, probably not hours, but it may have saved me,
1: I don't know, 30 minutes.
0: But the point you made before is, you know, you don't typically write Rust, right? You are not, this is not your tool set of choice, but you understood where the problem was and how to fix it enough to be able to describe it and write this prompt. And the game changer for me in hearing this story is you didn't actually have to solve the problem. You just had to know enough, know enough to frame the problem. And then, you know, the bot took you the rest of the way there. And that is, that is fascinating and terrifying. Like if you extrapolate this into the future, you know, do you think the nature of programming is going to change almost like in a fundamental way where it becomes more about reasoning and and framing problems than it does about writing the code To solve the problems. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I totally agree. And I think there's a lot of, I think there's a fear that this will, you know, could replace jobs. I think there's a, there's an example, right? With let's say an icon designer, um, an icon designer may produce these incredible icons for, let's say an iPhone and somebody that would have hired a designer to create an icon can just go to Dolly and generate an icon. And I think that it sounds scary, but the reality is the creative folks that can utilize the tools to generate sort of different versions or inspiration for essentially a human to use it as a head start. I think that's going to be a lot of what the practical usefulness is of these tools, is that programmers are going to need to be more disciplined and that they they need to not just take the output of a tool like this and just throw it into a code base and then ship it to production and break stuff. Right. You know, there's still going to be folks are going to have to focus in on, yeah, framing the problem and using the tools to help them accelerate and like essentially move quicker. But they're not going to, it's not going to replace the big picture And that folks that are really good at framing problems, to your point, or like, It's going to shift away from pure keystrokes to taking some of this output and putting it into a code base and looking at an overall application and how it works and validating that it still works, those kinds of things.
0: What about like modernizing a legacy code base, right? You've got something that was written in COBOL decades ago and you want to rewrite it in Java or you want to rewrite it in .NET and you know typically what you would do it depending on the size and and complexity you would hire a team right you'd go to maybe a consulting firm like us or you'd go and and hire a group of people and say you're going to spend the next 12 months like delving into this code base understanding all the weird edge cases and cleaning it up and writing it in a much more maintainable you know modern system with something like chat GPT or whatever the, you know, evolution, the, the future point releases of it are, does that work become automated? Like, could you essentially tell an AI tool, please go rewrite this code base and make sure that it passes all the same tests? Yeah, no, I, I think
1: there's an interesting thread there. It, it, it's interesting on like an infinite time horizon that seems possible. Yeah. But I think there's a interesting part about this, which is like the correctness level of the code that it outputs, where, yeah, I think there's going to be certain types of professions or use cases where you have, let's say, a self-driving car where it's safety critical, where Mm. it needs to be 99.99% correct. And if it's not, you know, it's a safety issue. And
0: it's literally life and
1: death, you know,
0: in those cases. But
1: then there's other examples where, you know, mostly correct, you know, if you're 90% and then with a little bit of human validation, you're all the way there. I think, for example, like I think lawyers are an interesting use case where Ooh, interesting. you think about, you know, what a new lawyer may do at a law firm is they may read a lot and then summarize that work for their team. You know, I'm not a lawyer, but I I do know that happens. And I think these tools will be able to do a pretty decent job of summarizing you know, past cases or whatever it may be pretty quickly. Again, it's a tool that they can use to accelerate their work, but you're of course going to want a person that's educated and knows what they're doing and is experienced to sort of validate that work similar to a programmer that may take to bring it back to the COBOL example. I think you could absolutely give one of these tools a chunk of, you know, legacy code and have it translate it into another language And it may be 95% of the way there, but yeah, through testing and through, you know, validation and just understanding, you know, syntactically, it may be correct. It may compile, if you will, but does the business logic still work? You know, does the the payment processing, this could be a bank system, does it still process payments correctly or, you know, this runs... 50 year old piece of software is critical for airplanes to fly. So I think there's going to be again it, it it's a tool to get a head start, but it'll be interesting to see how close they can get especially you know years from now, how close they can be from a correctness standpoint. Yeah. to where essentially your translation is actually reliable enough to be replaced like with little human input.
0: How do you think this changes, you know, people that are going to be getting into engineering in say five or 10 years, like, or maybe even shorter, maybe in the next two to three years, like, would you tell, you know, college students who are listening to this right now, Hey, you better get familiar with these tools because they're going to change. They're going to become critical to how you do your job. I think at this point,
1: you know, most day-to-day work, you know, hasn't really changed at all. And again, it's occasionally you pop a question into this tool or a- another tool that's, I would say, in much more common use day-to-day for, for engineers is GitHub Copilot. Yeah, so can you describe Copilot? Yeah, so GitHub Copilot essentially is a tool. So to connect the dots here, Microsoft is a big investor in OpenAI. Essentially, they've helped pay for a lot of the compute that OpenAI is used to build these models, which are very expensive to train. I think it's also worth saying that models have two main separate things. There's training, which is when you um, train the model itself on all the data, and then there's what's called inference, which is like the runtime. Like the actual query is sent through the inference part of the pipeline, which is essentially like the, the part where you'd be searching, like in a Google search box. Got it. And so... There's Microsoft, who's a big investor in AI. They own or in OpenAI, and they own GitHub, and so there's a tight relationship there. And GitHub Copilot is also a large language model powered tool that you can use in your code editor. That will at one good example is you can write a piece of code, let's say it, you know add some numbers together, and then you can write a code comment and say, "Write me a test that will test this function." And essentially it keeps track of the context that you have on screen in your project locally. And it will show you, essentially let you tab complete what it thinks you want it to write. And so Hmm. what I found so far is most of the time it is helping me save from actually typing keystrokes where it'll do what editors have done before with autocomplete, but sort of autocomplete on steroids. And so I think it's a productivity Booster, but it's it's in the same vein as you know, copilot used in the right way can have some of the same benefits as what we described with chat writing code, it's just a different environment. But it's a really cool tool. But again, much of the output it produces is wrong at first glance, but it could be as simple as the brackets are wrong, or you know, it gets the wrong variable name. So it, it gets things wrong, but it's still, you know, overall, I think helpful.
0: Do you think as we progress, we're going to get further and further away from the actual implementations? Meaning, is there a future where you have product managers or designers or even, you know, non-technical executives, they describe an interface in plain language. I want a report that shows me these four data points updated over the last 12 months and Something is generating, you know, essentially like a a program, an app on the fly that is not, you know, it's writing the code and it's and it's writing the interface code to actually draw, draw the complete picture. Like, do you think that's where we're headed in the I mean, I was going to say long term, but maybe it's medium term or short term. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think in the short
1: term that, you know, that's easier to see is let's say you've got a product designer, that's very good, but doesn't quite know the right CSS rule to implement an animation, mm. for example. I guarantee you you could ask Chat GPT to translate you know some plain language into like how would I you know do this style of animation with CSS, and I bet you it would you know help them answer that question so they could you know hand it to an engineer or implement it themselves you know on a website. I think the higher altitude you get, the longer the time horizon is that it's possible. So I think in executives yeah, describing, sense. you know, I want a full app that does all of these things or whatever, we're probably quite far away from that. I mean, far away meaning years, but not probably not decades. But I think there's going to be, yeah, there's going to be lots of little improvements that build upon like professionals doing their jobs faster Another good example, like on the design front is what Adobe's worked on with where you can like drag a line through, you know, a Photoshop in Photoshop drag, you know, a squiggly line through a painting and it produces a river or whatever, Yeah, you know, stuff like that, where designers can use it to enable them to iterate or test ideas and then fine tune it into like the level of quality that, you know, they expect
0: it to be. I think there's going to be a lot more of that. This reminds me; it's a great example in the in the sort of design, the creative space, right? Like uh, content-aware fill in Photoshop and other photo editing tools, right? People are like, you know, AI, machine learning. I don't really understand what this is, but there are these practical implications, right? That light up, like, I mean, all, everything we're talking about with Chat GPT, but also things like if I have a photograph and there are there are trees and a waterfall. And I want to delete the waterfall and put the trees in the whole background. Like there was a time when you had to do that by hand. There was a time when you had to do it physically, like with an airbrush or something. Mm -hmm. Right. And then it was by hand in Photoshop, like manually putting pixels around. Now you can lasso around something, hit delete, and then say, you know, I'm going to use the fill tool, but I'm going to use the content that's around what I'm filling and Photoshop will figure it out and like put the right stuff there. And it used to be kind of janky, but now it's like pretty good. Like it gets you 90, 95% of the way there, depending on again, how, uh, how granular you're, you're looking. And then you just have to go in and like tweak a few things and clean it up. So it's, this, it's the creative version of, I think what you're describing about writing a piece of code, you know, these tools are getting better like every year, every month. And I, I think we're going to continue to see these productivity boosters in a lot of different areas, which under the hood are based on machine learning. They're based on, you know, training a model and then understanding, you know, the, what's the substance of something is and figuring out how to amplify it.
1: Yeah. And I think there's an element of this where in the same way that CGI and movies, we got to like 95% you know, pretty quickly, but the long tail to get from, you know, the uncanny <laughs> valley part of right. it where you, there's a lot of effort there. It's very hard to fully get to that a hundred percent effectiveness. And I think that's the same thing with self-driving vehicles where there's an argument that you need like full AGI. So artificial general intelligence where essentially um, you've got a full AI in the sci-fi sense where, it can drive a car as if it was a human. I think the long tail, I think a lot of these scenarios like CGI or self-driving, there's gonna be a curve here where that long you know, you're gonna need a human to validate and they're gonna move faster, designers are gonna move faster, programmers are gonna move faster, but you're still gonna need need that human component for a while. But we'll see.
0: I know. I mean, as we think about evolving these implementations to I don't, inject some creativity or you know whatever that means. I don't even know what that means, but that's it feels like that's a, a new frontier that's going to be explored, which is, again, kind of scary. But, but we'll see. We'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, and I think maybe we should talk about the scary parts or the less rosy parts of this, which I think one of the things on my mind is it comes back to yeah, the word discipline. And I think when you think about Let's say children in school trying to learn actually totally. truly learn things. These tools are very tempting, right? To use to complete your homework or whatever it is.
0: Oh my God! Write me a three-page essay on Abraham Lincoln.
1: Right? And it's, gonna get, it's gonna get it pretty pretty good. And you know, you know, this is a tool that has essentially a lot of the works that publicly available on the internet to write the essay and it's gonna do a pretty good job. I mean, I'm pretty sure I read it past the bar recently.
0: The like the law? Yeah, the
1: oh bar <laughs> past the bar can get a exam? law degree. Wow. And I think, you know, there's gonna the, the reality is schools may try to ban these tools, but kids will get access to them. And I think it's gonna be, you know, parents and everyone else to to try to convince kids that, yeah, you'll use these tools like you used a calculator to do your math homework, but it is important to to focus in and learn a lot of the components of like what allows you to be a professional or whatever, master a skill. And so it's going to be challenging as these things get really good. And it's tempting, especially when you're a young kid and you want to, you know, go do something else to not just use these tools to sort of skip that learning part. It's going to be a challenge. Yeah. But on the flip side, there's a lot of upside. So, I mean, it's, this is going to be for humanity going to be a really tricky thing to navigate in the same way that things like social media have been super tricky to navigate. I mean, AI is going to be another challenge.
0: That's right. I mean, with the advent of the internet, we had all, you know, the world's information at our fingertips, and we had to adapt as a species to figure out how to wield that power effectively, and this is just another Leap. It's a big one. It's like a generational leap. Um, and it's gonna to continue to get better and easier and more accessible. And we're gonna to have to figure out how to adapt. There will probably be missteps. There will probably be things that it's like, oh, you know, we didn't anticipate that it was gonna go in that direction, and we need to curtail it in this in you know, in this way, or make a law that says you can't do it. I don't know. Like there are gonna be a whole bunch of new situations that we encounter and have to respond to. But I think, I mean, education is a great example where we're going to have to figure out how to make proper use of these kinds of tools as opposed to just outright banning them because the reality is like there's immense power here and this is where the, the world is going. Like this is, it's it's filtering in in all these various places. And so we have to figure out how to teach students to use things responsibly, you know, um, which is going to be tricky.
1: Yeah. Very tricky. Yeah. And I think there's also, I mean, there's going to be the question of regulation and like letting the free market do its thing with, with AI as it grows and like what governments are going to do with this and what they'll, how they'll regulate it. Like we talk about schools and if they ban it or not, but governments are going to be, you know, there's going to be politicians that want to be aggressive on this and ban it. And there's going to be folks on the other side of that. And we'll see what happens there as well. I'm sure it will be complex. And I think one thing, you know, for nerds like us, where we write software for a living and that's, you know, we, we know computers and technology so well, it's easy to forget that a lot of people see like just pure magic where a computer is spitting out what a human would. And it's, Right. It's easy for those tools to get misused. And I think, yeah, there's going to be a lot of education needed about it. And I think chat really opened the floodgates because it's such an easy to use interface. It feels like you're talking to a person.
0: Well, I mean, this is the thing. Like, I, And for those listening who haven't tried it yet, you can. I would encourage you to go, go to chat.openai.com and you'll get, you know, sign up for an account and you'll get a prompt and you can type stuff in and, you know. I'm technically literate. Like I consider myself a technologist and I loosely understand the idea of building a big model and then figuring out how to, you know, query it to get this kind of answer. That's kind of the extent of my, so maybe I am a little bit out of my depth, but it's still mind blowing. Like it is just, it's unbelievable to see it come together in the interface that chat GPT, you know, exposed. And I think the same way when you when I saw content aware fill in Photoshop for the first time, I was like, "That is magic," you know. And we're going to see more and more of these things, I think, as these technologies get better.
1: Yeah, and I think you know, I don't know where I first heard this or if I came up with it in my own head, but I mean, there's there's going to be trillions of dollars and value and business is created on the backs of all this stuff over the next decade it's going to be really big and there's going to be use cases from design to engineering and everything in between and people are gonna someone if it hasn't already is going to write that tool for lawyers that i talked about that helps them move quicker yep there's gonna be tons of value created over the next decade and it's going to be
0: really wild to see So I want to come back to the question of uh, advice, maybe to close this out. Like, are there things that you would encourage people to look at and learn more about or things to maybe avoid or treat with extreme skepticism, you know, besides the things that we've mentioned so far?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it it's good for especially people in technology. I, I think if your job could be affected by this, which a lot of, you know, different jobs could be, I think it's good to have some awareness of what's going on or experiment with asking, you know, Chat GPT a question or two and seeing what it produces. I think it's gonna be whatever changes it makes to different industries, you know, there's gonna be a lot of I'd say, you know, it's like if it affects programmers, I think when you look at technology, there's just going to be more people building software in 10 years, not less. So it's not yeah. like the jobs will be a little bit different and that people will be narrating and conducting these tools a bit more, but they won't, you know, it's not like the jobs are going to go away. So like that part doesn't scare me, but I think, yeah, people should play with it. And I think really it's a very exploratory time at this point. I think as a programmer, you know, testing out Copilot. It's a good idea. It's a good idea to tinker with tools and not, not be afraid to. You know that this is something scary. I think it's fun and it's a new frontier. And that you know that rust, new frontier, that Apple Health rust code snippet made me slightly uncomfortable. And I think there's going to be some <laughs> imposter syndrome for folks totally. when they they use some of these tools. But then I took a step back and I realized, you know, I do have to be disciplined to go in and look at that snippet and try to understand what it wrote using as a learning moment. And I think people are going to, everybody's going to have to go through that, that phase of if I feel we're a machine did something quicker than me and pretty well, but then using it as as a way to learn and then help you accelerate what you're trying to do. I think it makes a lot of sense.
0: That's a great place to leave it. We have to come back again in six or 12 months and see how the world has changed and evolved. I'm sure there will be a lot, different to talk about in this world of, of AI and the tooling that it's enabling. If you're listening to this and you would like to talk about how this might affect your role or your business or something you're working on, please reach out. We'd love to talk about it. Hello at postlight.com. We can get you on a call with Aaron and our engineering team, and we'll figure out how to, you know, help or at at the very least commiserate um, with what is ahead with us for, The brave new world that we are about to enter. Aaron, thank you so much for being on the show, and uh, we will uh, talk to you all soon. Yeah, thanks, Chris. All right, bye.